0: G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios at 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is made possible through the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation, and we come to you on the Community Radio Network Network your local community radio station. Today, two reports. Up first is Victoria's train and tram workers' EBA negotiations, followed by a fly-on-the-wall report on a recent Unions for Refugee forum. But first, some union news. (coughs) The Fair Work Ombudsman is considering litigation against Australia's largest retail conglomerate, West Farmers, after it revealed it has underpaid workers $15 million over the past nine years. The underpayments affect staff at retailer Blackwoods, workwear manufacturer, workwear group, industrial gas supplier Core Gas and health and safety management company Greencap. The errors relate to staff allowances, superannuation and entitlements, with West Westfarmers specifically highlighting car expenses. West Farmer reported the non-compliance to the Fair Work Ombudsman. However, in a statement, Ombudsperson Sandra Parker said this was not good enough. The Fair Work Ombudsman will be holding Farmers to account after self-disclosing significant underpayments of its workers. Each week, another large company is publicly admitting that they failed to ensure staff are receiving their lawful entitlements. This simply is not good enough, Ms Parker said. Three female firefighters have quit amid allegations of indecent assault, sexual harassment and bullying at Dungot Station in regional New South Wales. The trio all left the organisation in the past six months claiming there was a toxic bully boy culture at the station which is in the state's Hunter region. In a show of support, two men also resigned. The women say they were treated as troublemakers and faced discrimination that varied from not being allowed to drive trucks having uniform requests denied and being subjected to misogynistic language. One of the women, Ms Thompson, signed up as part of a 2012 recruiting drive directed at women and alleges she was groped by a male firefighter from the station in April 2017. She complained to FR New South Wales in December 2017. I'm an educated woman. I know how these things work. Usually when a woman comes forward with something like this, the woman will lose her job. FR New South Wales investigated after receiving the complaint but found it was highly unlikely further action was needed. These are allegations and with allegations comes great responsibility to demonstrate that what occurred, Assistant Commissioner Paul McGugan said. Ms Briggs Another of the women, a former police officer in the UK, described FR New South Wales as a boys' club. There is a culture of fear which is a dangerous culture in a rescue environment, she said. Information and communication is severely suppressed and controlled so as to prevent transparency. The issues raised at Duggot certainly got our attention, said the Assistant commissioner Magoogan, but the problem was put down to a history of interpersonal conflict at the station. Ms Newton, another of the women, told an ABC reporter, a male colleague pressured her for sex over several months between 2013 and 2014. Numerous times I was asked if I would have sex on the truck or one of the rooms. Here, there and everywhere, she said, out on jobs, I always had comments made in a sexual nature, She complained to FR New South Wales in 2014 but claimed she continued to be rostered alone with the man until 2018.
1: Stick stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick
2: together.
3: Stick together.
2: Stick together. Stick together. You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio.
0: Public transport vital for keeping a city operating, but not important enough for a quick enterprise bargaining agreement to be ironed out between Victorian workers and the companies the government has outsourced to. Rail workers have reached an impasse with Metro, the franchise operator, a joint venture between MTR Corporation, that's 60%, a Hong Kong-based organisation, John Holland Group, that's 20%, that's a Chinese-owned organisation, and UGL Rail, that's 20%. Metro also operates the Sydney Metro Network since 2019, for your information. According to the Rail Bus and Tram Union, despite trying to negotiate with Metro for more than nine months, Metro is now resorting to legal technicalities to exploit workplace laws and prevent them from taking industrial action. Action which the RBTU sees as a consequence of Metro trying to cut costs by stripping away working conditions, including rostering and shift work provisions. They want workers to have less security at work and are refusing to take action on sexual harassment and gendered violence in the male-dominated transport industry, according to the union. Nothing more can be said about this until the Fair Work Commission gives its ruling later in October. A rally at Flinders Street Station in the city centre has been called for the 17th of October at 11:30. That leaves the trams. The RBTU members have to negotiate with a French multinational running under the moniker Yarra Trams. The RBTU members have called a third stoppage for Thursday the 10th from 10am to 2. I was able to get some details from the RBTU Secretary, Luba Grigorovich on the state of play in their enterprise bargaining agreement negotiations.
2: So um, Yarra Trams is basically wanting to implement new part-time plans, which will um, lead to, they're claiming that it will lead to diversity and inclusivity, but the actual shifts and rosters that have been proposed are completely unsuitable for workers with child care and caring responsibilities. I think the truth is Yarra Trams just want bigger profits and have therefore refused Um, the union's repeated request to reveal how much money it will save through these proposed new rosters and we're really concerned that um, it will lead ultimately to a reduction in conditions and also casualisation for our members
0: Uh, And uh, so people have been working for this organisation for a long time in some cases Very much so And so these changes are actually uh, expected to have some effect on people's uh, security of employment
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, we, ultimately, we just want an agreement that doesn't strip away hard won conditions um, and an agreement that ensures safety at work and an agreement that delivers a fair wage increase. It seems though that um, Yarra Trans is more concerned about the hip pocket.
0: Okay, so what are the safety concerns?
2: Um, Well, the safety concerns around rostering is one of the safety concerns, um, along with the KPIs. So, at the moment, um, they're very much trying to keep up with their KPIs that are in place, but they're very unrealistic, especially the driver times. Um, So, we're trying to get that more matted out in the agreement discussions.
0: And so, the driver times?
2: Not the shift. Lengths. It's more getting from destination A to B with okay. the growing population and also the huge amounts of traffic. It's not as simple as just um, you know driving along the road. Like there's often uh, uh, cars that will swerve in between the trams. Passengers often take longer. Yada yada. Now rather than uh, Yarra Trams, you know, understanding that they're putting the drivers under massive pressure to reach up with KPIs of what they believe is the expected travel time from destination A to B.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. That makes sense. I must admit that uh, as a tram user, uh I've been noticing that say for example that the trams aren't as clean as they used to be. I mean, uh so and I've noticed that the tram drivers actually walk through to check to see if there's any litter and stuff like that. So it seems to me that perhaps their job descriptions changed as well over time. Uh
2: it has changed a little bit. Um, I know with the new MR4, which is the state government, uh, so the refranchising um, agreement that the state government actually put on Yarra Trams, they've included things such as as the cleanliness of the trams.
0: Oh, really? So it's the driver's responsibility?
2: No, it's not. It's not in their position description, but it's Yarra Trams' responsibility. And I think they're trying to pressure the drivers to actually look into the trams.
0: Oh, goodness. And so that sort of gives you a little bit of an insight into the way the company perceives its employees and the uh, roles that they're actually supposed to be playing.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The, uh, another thing with, that the company is quite um, unfair with is the disciplinary process. Um, at the moment, it is very much swayed against the employee. Um, Consequently, we want and something we're asking for in the negotiations is a fairer disciplinary process. So we've asked for an independent chairperson in an appeal um, to be binding on Yarra Trams. At the moment, though, what's happening is an appeal will go to an independent chairperson, and Yarra Trams will just say, "Oh well." We're- into our first position. Um, there's also rostering arrangements uh, to better minimise fatigue is something that we're looking into. Again, Yarra Trans is turning a blind eye to that. Um, women's rights for our women's advocates um, to protect against sexual harassment and um, gendered violence. So there's a few positive things that we're looking at to try and implement within the enterprise agreement that Yarra Trans just really don't want to borrow
0: now, this is the third time that uh, the tram drivers have taken action over the la- this last few months. Um, is there any movement at all?
2: Uh, look, we did have negotiations last Wednesday and Friday. Um, we've now put an offer to Yarra Trams uh, in the hope that they will come back with, you know, it's a negotiation, so we've put in one offer. We're hoping they'll come back and say, yes, we can or can't um, sort of come to the party with that. If there's movement... Be- Tomorrow afternoon, um, we will withdraw the stoppage for Thursday. But at the moment, we haven't seen any movement from the company.
0: Okay. And uh, is there a lot of solidarity in the workers around this? Because, Absolutely.
2: So yeah. at, with both of our last two stoppages, um, you know, the public would have seen the solidarity that, solidarity that has been demonstrated. Um, you know, our members are really keen for a deal that protects their conditions. That's fundamentally the most important thing.
0: Yeah, and I've noticed that actually there's a lot of public support for the drivers.
2: Which has been very kind and, you know, I want to thank the general public. We don't want to have stoppages. Um, it not only harms the general public and, the you know, the travelling public, but it also harms my members. So having strikes is a last resort for us, but it seems that it's the only thing that's going to get the company to listen.
0: Now, uh, the RBTU uh, had uh, at a previous time pushed for public transport to go back into public hands. Uh, Yes. Yeah, because of a variety of issues that um, are happening because it's been privatised. And this
2: is a prime example. KDR Victoria, the company that trades as Yair Trams, is owned by a French multinational company. KDR Victoria doubled its profits last year. The government has therefore got a role to ensure that this greedy multinational, multinational company takes a reasonable and fair approach to the conditions of its workers. You know, the sad reality is that this government is the one that chose KDR, they've got the agreement with this multinational company to run our tram network, yours and mine, Victorian taxpayers. Um, The the tram network, whether they like it or not, belongs to all Victorians and the state government should be demanding that Yarra Tram bargain in a reasonable manner with its employees. Thus far that has not happened.
0: You're listening to Stick Together, union news, workers' stories, social justice issues. It might surprise you that despite the vast sums of public money used to secure our borders from refugees, that there are only 30,000 refugees in total expressing their legal right to asylum in Australia. That's the size of a small country city in Australia. This is just one fact that surfaced at a recent forum run by Unions for Refugees.
4: I just want to very briefly set the scene for um, what we're what we're facing politically in terms of refugee rights and the union movement. I'll be very brief about it, though. Um, Since the federal election, we've seen absolutely no sign that the Morrison government is relenting um, on any front in terms of refugee rights or anything in particular, as we all know. And there have been some particularly symbolic and cruel um, flashpoints of that. Uh, The the Tamil family from Bilawila has been a really um, obvious point that the government has chosen um, to to really uh, lay down the law over. Um, and refused to to, um, give even an inch to the point of um, setting them up solely on Christmas Island. There's been locking up of 53 refugees totally incommunicado in Bumana Prison, one of the most dangerous prisons in the world, in Papua New Guinea. Um, And, of course, the the very provocative uh, plan to, in November, repeal the Medivac legislation that our movement won um, quite successfully... Earlier this year, so you know that's that 's what we 're facing, and we all know that, but I think important to remember and to um to frame our discussions in that this year we have seen uh, you know, no giving up in the face of that from the refugee movement. In fact, I think um, both unionists and refugees and advocates have actually stepped up substantially in terms of our resistance, the um, the refusal to give in over the Billowheela family, even to the point where we're all out at the airport and then the next day at the um, at the hearing and then the next week at the hearing, it's been unionists at the front line of that um, refugee rights activists just tirelessly showing up and refusing to give in um, in the face of, of the government. I, I just wanted to mention as well something that has really shifted the landscape, I think, very significantly um, for for unionists uh, who support refugee rights in particular was the really inspiring rally um, uh, that the TPV, um, BVE and CHEV and other um, insecure visa holders um, held a couple of weekends ago. I don't know if other people were there, but it just really... I think just hearing um, people in that situation speaking openly and fearlessly... Uh, for, you know, really just actually transformed the landscape I think for a lot of us in terms of being able to hear those voices directly um, and be able to connect with people who are in our community and see and know that we are living, working and fighting amongst um, refugees um, together. So I think those two um, kind of signals are, are emblematic of our movement, not giving up, and that we have some something to work on and something to work with.
5: There's a couple of things that I wanted to raise about how practical things that unions can do to improve the um, progress towards a more fair and equal society and uh, one that's more inclusive, of refugees. And I actually want to pay tribute here in this building to the Nurses' Union, which has got a great program about um, offering job opportunities specifically to people from these communities, understanding that it's very difficult to get work uh, and to get get a first job when you don't have experience in Australia. And I know that they're doing that work and... Um, trying to help people by engaging them and bringing them into workplaces. And I think it's something that other unions could really take a leaf out of the nurse's book if there's officials around the room and take it back to their, their leadership. Um, because what we what we know is that exposure to people in these situations, exposure to refugees or people seeking asylum can make such a huge difference. And I want to tell you a little bit of a story about my time when I was an organiser at the... Um, at it was the LHMU at the time, now United Voice or UU, whichever one, whatever day whatever day it is today. Um, but uh, I used to organise security guards. Uh, and as many people would know, there's a lot of people from South Asia who are secu- in the security industry, but there's also a lot of old white blokes. Um, and one day I was at the oil refinery out in Spotswood um, talking to people about an enterprise bargaining agreement negotiations. And um, that old... 50-something white guy who's, you know, you, you can make a picture of him, you, I think you already have a bit of a picture, um, wasn't very happy about all the his words, abba coming straight off the boat, taking people's jobs. And I was sort of taken aback, not just at the racism, but at the fact that standing right behind him was a man that I knew, his name was Ali. And I looked over this man's shoulder to Ali, and the Ali's face had sunk a little bit. But then this white guy turned around and said, oh, not you, Ali, you're one of us. And that was one of the things that we need to expose more people to other people in these situations because solidarity is born out of understanding, out of this human connection. Um, and what we need to do is fight to make our workplaces more equal and more inclusive of all people, from no matter where they're from and no matter their situation. Um... Unions can help, and if those of you that are active inside your unions, we need to be active inside of unions, not just as unionists in the workplace, but within the structures of our unions as well. And one way that we can do some of that is also by putting some, um, you know, putting some asks on, on people inside unions to involve these types of issues at our delegates' conventions. Uh, and I know some unions do, and I'm speaking at one next week and at another one the week after, um, but we need to continue to raise these issues and highlight Just how important it is that we're fighting for all workers. Not just the people that we're already in the union, not just the people we're comfortable about talking to in the workplace, but absolutely everybody. Because there are 1.1 million temporary migrant workers in Australia. Uh, And as a union movement, we can't succeed on anything unless we bring all of those workers together. Refugees and people seeking asylum are a small part of that, of our mixed migration system but they are an important part because they are used as a way to divide us. And it is quite clear. And the people in Canberra need us to be fighting each other at the moment because as soon as we turn our gaze to Canberra, everyone would realise, um, black, white, no matter where you're from, just how bad things are up there. So they need they need this division. They need to sow this division. And our job, our primary job, must be to overcome it. To do that, we're going to need to transform the trade union movement. I mean... Um, like We are quite white, um, myself included, um, and we need to do more to bring people in from the shop floor, to lift them up, to train people, again, to make our union movement more diverse so that we are having more diverse opinions, we're having more of these um, voices heard.
4: Hi, everybody, and welcome again here at ANMF. My name is Ganya de Gagule. So um, I'm here tonight. I just want to share my story and how I end up at the ANMF. Uh, such a great place to work with lovely people. Uh, I came to Australia in 2013 by boat and I've been in detention centre for over three months and then after that they gave us a bridging visa and we ended up in Melbourne. But the first two years in Australian community was basically jail at home, no right to education no right to study, no right to work. Um, a link benefit, which is equal 50% of what the citizen get. Hello
3: everyone. Um, I'm Ms. Um We came to Australia 2013 as well. How Kania uh, was talking, and I'm very proud to see her how she talks and uh, like it makes me feel really, really good because like there are not many people like her. We're, like there, there are not as strong people like her. Some people are still scared to get up talk to say their uh, problems but we are 30,000 people we are not one two or like even hundreds we are 30,000 people living in Australia and we need everyone's support who's here who like your community as well you go out there you talk your friend to your friends to the community you work with and like educate them we need people to know about us because like I work in Craig Bend South primary school I'm a um, teacher right there and when I talk to all my colleagues about, like, how I came to Australia and, like, um, all our story, our visas, they don't even know what my visa is. And they say, when are we going to be permanent? I don't know what to tell them. Like, what is the next step with your visa? I don't know what to say. I just close down, I just go shot. I don't know. I'm like, what do I tell them? Like, they're not going to understand me because, like, they've never been in my situation. They never knew about my situation and all of that. So it's better to educate people first and to tell them to, I don't know, to help us, to support us, because we need this support. With the support we get, the more support we get the bigger our community will be and we will be heard somehow. And thank you so much for these groups, like all these groups that help refugees, because we really need your help. More the help we get, like the better we will be and I am pretty sure we will survive at some point. I know survive is not a good word to use, but like, we have to survive. Like There's no other words that I can use for our situation. Our situation is survive, it's not a win anymore. <laughs> Cause like, I've been rejected twice. Next step, I'll be like Tamil family. You're gonna come to court for me. I'm gonna be like, Wait, maybe in Christmas Island. I don't know what will happen, you know? I just wanted to
1: talk actually a little bit about um, the Bilo Wheeler family because I think but I think the Bilo Wheeler family are kind of the next potentially you know the the next baby Asher moment and I guess just thinking a little bit about what was so successful then um, at Lady Salento Hospital and what we need now and I think we can see very clearly that the success at Lady Salento was the leadership of the trade union movement. Like that's what won it, and it was it was the leadership of the workers in the first instance refusing to release her, and then it was the leadership of of um, you know our Queensland comrades saying we are behind this 100 percent publicly. We're you know we're all gonna, we're calling through our phone trees, we're calling the demos, we're down there on the picket line um, to to protect Baby Asher and, and how important that was. I think there's sometimes some anxiety, and has been particularly around the Biller-Wheeler family, that when we're public about our support for them, that that might make it harder for Peter Dutton to kind of quietly shuffle them back home. But I think the reality is is that every year, Tamils are deported by the Australian government. Every year, people are returned to to danger. The only reason that Priya and Nadez and their girls haven't been it's because we've made a fuss about it. That's why they're still here. They're not here despite us making a fuss. They're here because we made a
6: fuss. I think that there's another part of the conversation, which is that our public services and our core functions of the state should be done by the state. And this government has outsourced detention centres and they've outsourced immigration. They're about to outsource our visa services. Mm. Um, But they've also outsourced... Centerlink and, you know, health services and all of the things that you engage with as citizens across the state. And it's absolutely critical that we stand up and say that those services and core functions of the state should be done by the state and the state is responsible to us as citizens to do that but also responsible to asylum seekers that it's not some private enterprise. One of the reasons why we couldn't, and it's a struggle to organise people working within border force, but it's not a struggle to organise people working within the immigration um, services. But one of the reasons why we struggled with the um, Bilowella family is that it was a private company that was doing it and you know refoulement should be done by the state if the state's going to but I think that privatisation and public services are another really important part and that's something that unionists should be standing up for.
0: That's it for Stick Together. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and also on iTunes. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. And until next time, stick together.
5: Let's sing one of Woody's old songs. was a union maid who never was afraid of the goons and the geeks and the company finks and the deputy sheriffs who made the raid and when the news was called she went to the union
3: hall and when the legion boys came round she always stood her ground oh you can't scare me I'm i'm sticking to the union i'm sticking to
2: the union i'm sticking to the union
3: you can't scare me, I'll stick it to the union, I'll stick it to the union, till the day I die. Yeah. This union maid was wise to the tricks of company spies. She couldn't be fooled by the company stool, she'd always organize the guys, she'd always get her way. When she strives for better pay She'd show her card to the National Guard And this is what she'd say Oh, you can't scare me I'm sticking to the union I'm sticking to the union I'm sticking to the union, to the union. Oh, you
6: can't scare me I'm sticking to the union I'm sticking to the union, union. Till Til the day I die You women who want to be free just take a tip from me. Join your hand with a union man into the 21st century. As Angela Davis found, we're all together bound. Let race and class and gender join to stand on common ground. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking with the union. I'm
3: sticking with the union. I'm
2: i to the union till the day I die. Hey, hey, oh you can't scare me, I'm sticking to the
6: union,
3: I'm sticking to the union, I'm sticking to the union, oh you can't scare me, I'm sticking to the union, I'm sticking with the union, till the day I die. I'm sticking with the union till the day I die.